Welcome to the Real Life Roundtable podcast, conversations about culture, Christianity, church, and community, and where all those intersect as we explore real life with one another. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org. All right, everybody. This is episode three of the Real Life Roundtable. I'm here with Pastor Rich. Yeah. Hey, say hi. All right. Rich (laughs) almost dropped his Bible immediately. And then uh, (laughs) we have our very first guest here and his name is Pastor Dexter. All right. Pastor Dexter Harris. Um, So this is the very first interview that we're doing on the podcast. And the secret is officially out that we're called the Real Life Roundtable. And we're actually not at a round table. No, this is this is not even a square or rectangle. It's like, it's, ale. It's, like a ki- it's a kidney. And we're also recording in the smallest room we possibly can. I'm sure Dexter kind of walked in here and he was like, oh, this is going to be like a legit setup. It's like me in my office with a computer and way too many wires. That's all, that's all it is. So, yeah. um, so Dexter, um, you are pastoring in our neighboring community. And Gary, you want to give us a little bit of your story and then uh, we'll kind of jump into some topics. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, thank you all for having me. Um, I, as Ben has said, I pastor in Gary, Indiana. I believe that I have the distinct privilege and honor uh, to do so. Um, and that has come about um, in a crazy way. I uh, grew up on the south side of Chicago. Um, long story short, always uh, around the age 14, had a desire to pastor, uh, particularly in the urban context. Um, and so um, I did a few ministry things with a, a church called Rivers Community Church in South Holland um, and was there for about four or five years being an associate pastor, youth pastor, um, and had an opportunity to come to to Indiana um, and checked out this church called Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana, where I camped out for about three years as I was working um, in the banking world. Um, and then the opportunity came uh, from Bethel Church to plant a church in Gary, Indiana. Um, and so we did that in 20, 2014. So it's been about, that was about eight years ago. Um, and so I've been the campus pastor there for about five years. Um, and man, it has been interesting. Um, and when I say interesting, I mean that uh, what God has really brought um, and really uh, built um, you know, with the Gary campus. And so we are a multi-ethnic church. Um, in the heart of downtown Gary. And if you don't know about Gary, Indiana, uh, Gary, Indiana is a predominantly black community. Um, uh, If Michael Jackson rings a bell for you, it is the home of Michael Jackson. Um, And so that's one of the big things that it is uh, known known for. And so we are a multi-ethnic church. Uh, We are one of five campuses. Um, The majority of our church is a predominantly white church. Um, And so it was a bit of what we like to call a battleship approach to ministry um, for a predominantly white church to plant in the urban context. Um, And so God has been gracious enough for it to be going now uh, for for eight years. Um, And so we are also 
um, in the throes of becoming an independent church, which I may talk a little bit about um, in this episode. Um, but man, it has been it has been a tremendous blessing navigating uh, being a uh, pastor in the urban context, pastor in a predominantly, I mean, uh, a multi-ethnic church uh, with a predominantly white leadership. Um, and so I've learned a lot, explored a lot, and hopefully I'll be able to give a little something here. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Audience. So we, we've known Dexter for a little bit of time here. Um, again, me and Rich are new to the area. We've only been here collectively for a couple of years uh, between the two of us. But we want to talk a little bit about what it looks like to be part of Together for the Region, which is something that we've kind of started to establish here in the area to, to bring churches together on mission to to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we're going to talk about that later. The reason why we wanted to have you as our first guest is that, and the reason we're going to have multiple guests is that we want to equip the church to be able to know people that are in different backgrounds and from different perspectives, but then also see how the church can love people. Cause we're called to love God, love people, serve the world. That's our, that's our mission statement here at real life, but that's really the calling for any Christian. But what does it look like to then love people that we don't understand? Well, first then you have to get to know them because loving somebody is being in relationship. So we're going to have a series of people that we interview that are going to help inform us of different people. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to love people that are in proximity with us. Now that doesn't mean just the people that were around on Sunday mornings, but what does it look like to love people who are geographically in proximity with us, but that also might have different diverse backgrounds or different perspectives or who are in a different part of life that maybe we don't understand. So how do we understand people that are in proximity to us so that we can effectively love and serve the people in our own communities? And you're the great one to have on in this podcast for this discussion, because that's kind of what we're trying to do with Together for the Region. But that's also what you're trying to do as somebody who's pastoring a campus of another church that is now trying to launch into their own incarnational ministry opportunities in Gary. So what is, what is, what are some of the things that we need to do as the church or some perspective change that we need to have take place for us to actually love and serve people in our own proximity? And if I can interject too, just for some context. So we're sitting here right now in a building in Portage, Indiana, one community within 10, 12, 13 minutes, you can be in downtown Gary. I mean, yeah. it's so, and they're two very unique, different uh, communities that are both also transitioning a little bit as well. Yeah. And so this idea of proximity, this idea of really incarnationality is this idea of moving into the neighborhood, the area where you are and being willing to put yourself into positions, you know, to, to, to hear other people's narratives, to hear other people's stories and, uh, you know, we obviously modeled that off of Christ. Christ moved into the neighborhood. You know, he, he came here to be with us and, uh, enter into ministry and, and to love for us. So what does it look like for us to, to do that? So thinking about Jesus, thinking about his life, like what is that, his trajectory to the cross? How do you relate that to, to loving and serving people in your proximity? Yeah. So I would like to start off with, you know, Philippians 2. Um, and kind of go from there. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ and any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affections and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of core, in of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambitions, conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And this is the key uh, here. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. And so I think when we talk about loving people well, it does take this kind of Christ-like posture of humility. Um, and I think one of the practical ways that that's spelled itself out is having this attitude in this posture of, I need to learn. If I'm going to love my neighbor, mm-hmm. I have to first learn my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes we can come to um, our neighbor with these concepts that we already have or these preconceived notions that we already have. And a lot of times what I've found uh, within the church is that we have conversations within the context of our four walls. And then we go tell people how we're going to serve, how we're going to love them without ever having a conversation with them, without ever understanding their situation and their circumstances. And and some of that is from fear, right? Like, like we're scared to go have those conversations. And so oftentimes we talk to people that we're comfortable with, talk to people that we know um, that often do not have an understanding of, of, of our neighbor's particular situation. So you take Gary, Indiana, for an example, oftentimes people come uh, to Gary, Indiana, or if they want to love Gary, Indiana, it's with this preconceived notion of what they think Gary, Indiana is about. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and not taking a position of, man, let me go in and learn, seek understanding, um, and to have a listening ear. And I think I think the first, the very first thing that you have to do is that you have to be willing to learn. And, and, and through that learning, um, you're now able to seek out, as the, the, the scripture says, the interests of your neighbor. And right. so, but it's hard to know what, you know, uh, what does my neighbor need? You know, uh, what does interest my neighbor? So forth and so forth without learning and listening. And me. I think it's important for you to think about, we have to use Christ as the example and we have to to listen to what Jesus says about loving our neighbors. Because I know for like, full transparency, when people found out where we were moving, one of the very first questions they asked was, well, how far away is that from Gary? Mm, and that's yeah, just the honest yeah. truth. It's yeah, yeah. how far away are you from what they think of as the danger? So instead, so if we let other people dictate what we do or even inform what, how we should view our neighbors, instead of learning from people in Gary, I'm learning what people who are miles and miles and miles away from Gary, what their opinion of Gary is. I can't make my decisions on who I love and how I serve people based on the opinions of others. I need to ask the people that God is calling me to serve and love. 100%. And, and I think that, you know, if you live in this area long enough, like you hear phrases like scary Gary, right? Yeah. Um, Don't stop at red lights because, you know, you'll get shot. Um, Or, you know, if you go, uh, make sure that you go with a group of people or whatever, right? right? Before the sun goes down. Exactly. And yeah. so what we do is we over-criminalize an entire city, an entire neighborhood, an entire people uh, without really understanding them. Um, and being a pastor in the city of Gary, we've, we've been in Gary now eight years. No one has ever broken into our church. Uh, no one has ever, you know, broken anything in our church, right? Um, and these are some of the things that you say. And I have white members that have come, you know, uh, that that go uh, that that attend our campus and that have done outreach and things like that with me. And for them to have this epiphany of, wow, I didn't get shot. Um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, like um, everybody okay. is not criminals down. It's probably a small <laughs> percentage of that. Most people are trying to take care of their families make ends meet, right. um, do the things that the rest of the world is trying to do. Right. Um, right. and so I think, um, but to, 
to to have that conversation with the young man, to have that conversation with the young lady, it begins to dispel some of these things that you know you were taught. But if you never enter into that context and and you never take that time, then then you're going to believe what you hear from the outside. Mm-hmm. And not yeah, and it turns people into boogeyman because then you don't realize that like. Just because someone, even if somebody is involved in criminal activity, it's not because they were born to be the villain. There's obviously outside circumstances that led them to that life, whether it's abuse, whether it's trauma or whether it's poverty, whatever it is. I think that if you put up barriers between you and people that you're not comfortable with, they don't become equal image bearers of God. They're they're somehow inherently broken. So right. it's not a matter of helping with their circumstances. It's a, no, they're, they're a boogeyman. They're like a villain. Right. There's a reason for it. So I need to keep myself at arm's distance mm. instead of recognizing people as people. Yeah. And, and, and I think you bring up a really good point. It's like without learning and uh, digging into a greater, broader understanding we begin to, if I can say it this way, say dumb stuff, right? Yeah. And it's just like, um, as you said, like people in Gary somehow are more inherently broken than other people in the world. Mm. And we don't look at the greater narrative of the things that play into the condition that Gary, Indiana is in. And this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Like, I think it is incumbent upon all of us as Christians to speak truth and honesty. And in order to do that, it is also incumbent upon you to learn mm-hmm. and to dig and to listen and not to spread what you heard or to spread lies, right? Um, because lies harm people and we all know that, right? Um, and the Bible has called us to something some, something better than that, you know, as believers. And so I think um, oftentimes uh, some of the preconceived notions around the city of Gary is based on a lack of education, a lack of understanding, mm-hmm. and a lack of learning. And when we begin to understand some of the systems and things that are surrounding uh, some of the circumstances and situations that we see people in, I think that it gives us a much different perspective mm-hmm. and also uh, can also inform our mission. Sure. Rich, talk more about what that looked like for Jesus' life. Because we talked a little bit earlier before we started recording about how Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to not only love people, but also be in proximity with people and also kind of put yourself in a position of being the marginalized and being the ones that are on the outside looking in. So what break down the narrative of Jesus' life right. from well, birth. I mean, as we were talking earlier before we started, Jesus was born in poverty. I mean, there were some... There were some distinct things that God did in the birth of Christ and with the whole incarnational experience and Jesus's ministry itself. I mean, the people Jesus touched, the people he healed, the people he spent time with, not only were they kind of outside the mainstream of what was considered acceptable societal norm, but he did legitimately like go to the people. I mean, what good can come out of Nazareth is Mm. is the statement, you know? And I mean, he literally spent his time and not only from a societal standpoint, from a church standpoint, I mean, he spent time with people. The church had said, you don't spend time with, Mm. with those people. Yeah. yeah. And so the Jesus literally lived this countercultural incarnational in proximity experience with tax collectors not just tax collectors, but notorious sinners. And I mean, just 
anybody and anybody in between. And not to, that sounds like we're trying to characterize an entire community as the, you know, the generalization of, of whatever poverty or whatever. But the reality is, is proximity matters. And to me, in, in my own experience, I've never learned anything different unless I've put myself or allowed myself to be in a situation. And I've kind of tried to be quiet so far because one of the things that I feel like I'm learning in regards to specifically race hmm. is I, I need to do less talking and more listening. And right. I, I, I just recognize that there's been a natural um, inclination for me to center myself. Right. To, to, and, and it's part of, it's just ignorance. It's just kind of how you're raised, you know, it's, mm-hmm. but it's, it's the reality and the overwhelming reality now of, okay, I've made a lot of just blank biased assumptions, not in a racist way, but just in a, an ignorant way where, right. you know, we were talking about this earlier, um, you know, there's, there's this weird thing that happens where, you know, if we described real life church. Well, real life is a church, but then all of a sudden it changes. The narrative changes when we describe other churches. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, that's a <coughs> black church over there, or that's a Hispanic church, or that's, but the white church is just the church. Mm-hmm. And so why do some of those things feel like we're, we're, we're compelled to communicate in those kinds of different ways? And I'm just realizing my proclivity, I guess, to, to still even today, allow myself to, to fall back into that. Now that only changes to me again, this is my experience that that is only changed when I've first of all, acknowledged and recognized that, but then intentionally put myself into places where I am the minority, where I do have to assume a posture of learning, where I am not in charge, where my narrative is not the primary narrative of what's going on or everybody's experience. And I mean, you've had enough lunches with me. I ask a million questions. So I just sit down and ask questions, 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 sometimes pretty uncomfortable ones. Uh, it seems like my primary responsibilities usually make people uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I, I'm I'm just recognizing I'm in that learning posture. Now, Christ, you know, we, we have this high priest who can empathize and who, who understands what we go through. Um, but... But part of the reason he understands is he put himself where we are and Mm. not that, you know, he's God obviously would understand and he's omnipresent and everything. But, but at the end of the day, we had a savior who entered into our drama. And if we're not willing to enter into other people's story, if we're not willing to take our, um, if we're not willing to take off our like lenses. Yeah. And, 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 and allow our stuff to be challenged a little bit. You guys used the word earlier boogeyman. So we do, we tend to make boogeymen out of things that are not like us and all that stuff. The other problem with that though, is boogeymen are really convenient to have because if I can identify a boogeyman and particularly if culture or the church at large can identify a boogeyman and I can keep elevating that boogeyman and that boogeyman is scary and something to be feared, I don't have to change. I'm a victim in that situation. And I think sometimes we prop up certain narratives where we can allow ourselves to feel like the threatened ones. Right. You become self-protective right. at that point because right. you're protecting you and yours from this boogeyman, whatever right. it might be, instead right. of being 
missional. But yeah, we had a savior who came and became friends with the boogeyman. Right. <laughs> so well, Kentucky, you know, he, he, he removed that moniker from everybody. Right. And, and I mean, everything is equal at the foot of the cross. And right. so, um, you know, he, he removed the ability to cause those dividing factors to exist. Ephesians chapter two, uh, I was looking it up earlier and, and I know that this verse is often quoted when it comes to things like racial reconciliation and different things like that. But Paul's writing to the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's like, hey, man, you're like one in Christ. There's no more division. And he says this in chapter 2, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has removed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And so the division is no longer there. I mean, the, the dividing wall of hostility no longer exists in Christ. So then we have to start asking ourselves, how long do we continue to behave as though that wall is still there? And how many times do we prop up a certain narrative to reinforce our own personal bias? Well, I'd even go as know? far as to say Christ removed the actual barrier but then people because we're all sinners built the barrier back yeah, up i don't i don't need back up. there is a barrier but it's a barrier that we've built ourselves i'd like you to con- contextualize a couple things dexter um the first one is so he we mentioned christ and how he modeled this and how we follow that so contextualize that in your from your perspective from your community what is it you talked a little bit about paul and timothy and how they had to address some things in the early church about divisions that were not based on being Christ-like, but was strictly based on cultural norms, which was based on propping up their ideas of the church. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I do think that we, uh, going back to what you said, Ben, is that uh, we have an inclination as people to uh, prop up these dividing walls that that Christ and his work and finished work at the cross has, has knocked down. And so the question does become like, what are those dividing walls mm-hmm. and what do they look like in 2022 and even getting more zooming in even more here in Northwest Indiana in regards to Gary, Indiana. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of those dividing walls that we are perpetuating here in 2022, um, let's start with the church, like music, what music is acceptable mm. and what music is not acceptable, right? Well, it's uh, my, my music's acceptable. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's like what flavor is yeah. acceptable? Is gospel music mine, acceptable? Mine is right. Right? Is, is come worship or demonstrative worship? Like, like, like which one is right? Which one is wrong, right? And if our neighbor doesn't worship the way that we worship, um, then we say that that's not Christ-like, that's not gospel-like, that's not whatever, you know, Christianity words you want to, you know, lump with it. Um, And so oftentimes, like, I've literally had people say, like, the way that Black people worship is is a distraction Mm -hmm. from God. Mm. Um, So you're like, what? Like, um, and so, like, one of my things was like, well... Um, Ken being calm, 
uh, be self-centered as well because you don't want anybody looking at you crazy. When well, we mm. look at David who danced out of his clothes. <laughs> yeah, he's naked. Okay. Right? I was, you know I, was, I was trying to figure out how long I could sit there quietly Without and not say something funny or inappropriate. You know, where I'm like, <laughs> or like the Ark of the Covenant comes in and you can feel the ground shaking, yeah, right? Yeah. And so clearly like the these power people, of the Holy Spirit cannot work unless everybody's singing like it's a funeral march because we don't want to distract people from the power of the Holy Spirit. Like God's not powerful enough to overcome yeah. that. Like, or we say, you know, who's dangerous and who's not dangerous. Sure. Who do we need to be protected against? Right. And who should so, you live next door to? Exactly. And who shouldn't you? Uh, yeah. Economics, you know, all these, you know, social things, all these labels that we begin to attach that to me are demonic in nature mm, and yeah. antithetical to the gospel. And so. And they're anti-truth. Uh, and your big thing is like, let's base our decisions and our postures on truth, not, not false narratives, not absolutely. like, there's something to be said about like, what is the truth? And then let's, let's base our decisions on that. Like you're talking about danger and stuff like statistically you're not in danger by being in some of these communities. It's just like, it's, you're afraid of sharks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, like, like these things do not, ex do not exist in, you know, to the, to, to the size that we have made it to be. Right. right. Um, and so it's just like, um, Miss Johnson or or Anthony or Laquan is not looking to shoot you. You know, he's right. probably looking for a job of anything because he lives in a community where it's hard right. to find a job or hard to find transportation. And I think that or we'll say things like, oh, we don't need to be sending money there because they're lazy or they don't want to work. And I say, I know people who are working three to four yeah. jobs to right. make ends meet. And one story I have is like one mom who's like, I mean, she worked her butt off to like just get a car so she can get to work, right? And this is when we start talking about the greater narrative, mm -hmm. right? So she gets a, you know, a decent car, you know, uh, just to get her that, you know, A to B. Right. Uh, but because the streets in Gary are so bad, um, it doesn't take long for that sensor to come on, right? Mm. Um, and you know, without that, you can't pass the admission test. You can't pass the admission test. You can't get a sticker, you know? Right. Um, and so now and you're getting tickets. forbid you get pulled over for not having that yeah. sticker. And, and then, so yeah. now you're you're trying to move forward, but because of this greater narrative, you find yourself in a bigger situation. And what we conclude from a lack of ignorance on the outside, all those people are lazy. Yeah, they didn't they have the work. same opportunity as we do to get that stuff done. And I'm like, you have no idea. And it's such a lie because we have no problem sending money thousands of miles away to help people in need. We don't question their motives. We don't say like, well, I mean, some people do, I suppose. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it feels like it's easier to get people to rally around giving money to missions that are not around us, but then always ask the question, well, what are they going to do with my money or do they deserve it? And I think, I think that has a lot to do with letting go of some power Yeah, yeah, yeah. and kind of like protecting yourself and your own narrative where if I have to recognize that someone's in need and it's not something that they deserved, it's not because they're a villain, but that somebody, my neighbor, my proximity neighbor is in need that reveals that something might be wrong. That's right. bigger than just me and my neighbor. That's right. And 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 it ought to bend our hearts to to care, um, into into lean into that. And and oftentimes what is happening is that we're we're pulling. We're actually pulling away. And and the world is looking on at the church like, mm 
we're supposed to be the ones that are supposed to be doing these things, right? You know, being the bridge, you know, um, uh, shortening the gap or whatever. And I think that, you know, going back to like even COVID-19 and talk about another wall, it's just like, you know, we had particularly in the city of Gary, you know, more people were getting sick, more people were dying mm. in black contacts. And a lot of it has to do with, once again, the greater narrative and the systems around um, um, our people. And so, whereas, you know, I had one person say, well, they're getting sick and stuff because they don't eat right. Mm. <laughs> vitamin deficiency. I remember that one going around. And like, then I'm just like, okay, I want you to, I want you to come to gear. I want, I want you to walk and, and see that the common grocery store is the gas station. Right. Mm-hmm. It is the convenience yep. store. Right. And so to get fresh fruit, is not as ready available. I'm a pastor with a car, right? If, you know, if I want a, a decent lunch, you know, sometimes I got to go outside the city, a few spots that I can pick from. Imagine someone who doesn't have that kind of, you know, kind of transportation. Right. And, and so as a church sees that reality, because uh, I've been, you know, I did a video uh, during the height of the George Floyd and things like that. And, you know, I'm hearing all this rhetoric go around and I'm just like, I want you to come down here and walk through the grocery yeah. store. The, you know, the, um, and, 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 and it's not like these grocery stores like Jewel Osco or whatever, you know, wherever right. you shop at or whatever. And I said, I want you to see the blue moldy meat that is being sold mm-hmm. for way more than it is at your local grocery store. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to walk the aisles because until you do that, you just have these 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 theories in your head. You have these these preconceived notions in your head. But I need you to go and walk, and I need you to feel, and I need you to see, and I need you to taste. Because until you do that, then you don't deserve a spot at the table to be talking about Gary, Indiana. Mm, right. And and then you realize that the solution isn't just me out of my privilege handing out a few tomatoes and strawberries. Not that that's not good, but it makes you aware of the reality that like there are some systems in place that cause this disparity. And those are systems that Jesus would be flipping. Like if we're we're really going to be Christ-like and if we're really going to be about a new kingdom, it's not about doing good things for me to feel better. It's about changing the narrative hundred percent. And I think, so we talk about loving our neighbor. We talked about, you know, learning, you know, obviously we want to love as we learn, we understand and in our understanding, we can, we can then love well, but I don't think that we just stop at that. Love also wants to liberate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to see, um, people experience a robust life in freedom as well. And so part of, you know what, um, I was listening to this one pastor, um, I can't think of his name right now, but he talks about not only do we want to give a person a fish, because I think that there's nothing wrong with giving a person a fish. Right. Um, I don't think you want to stop there. I think you want to teach them how to fish as well. Um, I think that that's a loving. But if you're going to liberate them, you want to teach them how to own the pond. Um, and so part of what you know we desire to do, you know, as a church, is that we actually want to see people be able to, you know, take ownership. And to have things that they can call their own, uh, because you know, as we look at systems and things like this, I don't want to go too far into this, uh, 
but we want to see more of our people own their own houses mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. this because the reason why they don't is attached to a greater narrative, right? Right. Um, and so as the church, we want to say, I don't just want to go in and give you a fish because that makes me feel good or that clears my conscience. We want to work in such a way uh, that we're removing things that are stopping people from having their own and owning their own. And that just doesn't happen unless you are in relationship with people to see those narratives. Rich, talk a little bit about, because we've pastored together for a while now, talk about you're a pastor of a church right now that's predominantly white, but you were also in the previous role a pastor of a predominantly white church. And it was closer in proximity to another setting where there was urban setting and people were of different backgrounds and different economic statuses. Talk about some of the challenges from your perspective of even how your narrative gets twisted sometimes when you're trying to do that. Okay. Like you, you got to share some of your stuff. I mean, Dexter's laying it all out there. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the challenges when you start to talk about, Hey, being like Jesus is not just loving people like me. I think one of the challenges, um, and it, and it's true. I mean, for me, there, there are some distinct, I would say milestone moments for me where I realized, okay, I need to, I need to immerse myself in something that's not all about me and, Mm. and immerse myself in culture and proximity to things that, that just aren't reflective of my narrative. And so there's some distinct things, but during the George Floyd thing in in the summer of 2020, uh, things really kind of came to a head for me where I realized, you know, I may have, dipped my toes in those waters, I may have begun to um, embrace the fact that my narrative is a centered narrative and there are other people that suffer because of that. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I began to really process that. So when the George Floyd stuff began to, I mean, everything just began to cascade, you know, uh, even in the life of the church that we were a part of, I realized that I, my, my toes, my feet were in water that other people weren't. Hmm. And, um, and I got backlash, you know, I mean, there were things that I, that I said, things that I posted that honestly I thought were really, really benign and lazy. (laughs) Uh, but even then it was kind of, oh, so that's, that's who we are now, Rich. Like, whoa, okay, (laughs) hang on. You know, I, I think I'm just like saying almost like I'm so embarrassed. Like, can't we all just get along? No, we can't. We can't. You got to pick a side, man. And honestly, in the, in the midst of all that, I just was kind of like, listen, I'm first of all, I'm on Jesus's side and I'm pretty sure Jesus's side is with the marginalized right now mm. and those that are being oppressed. And that doesn't mean he excludes everybody else. That's not what that mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. But it means that if we have a problem standing in solidarity if it, it, it is a lens problem. I, I have a question for you and it was popping into my mind from before I can identify some specific conversations that I've had where the, my lenses came off and I entered into, and this sounds really self-serving to say, or, Oh, look at me, but I entered into a reality that had, I, I was not an author of it. I had no, it, I had no bearing on how things were playing out. And so in that summer of 2020, I had to speak into some situations mm. and I just recognized that not only was there an unwillingness to dip toes in the water, 
there was an unwillingness to acknowledge that that even needed to happen. So, I mean, I was, I was point blank informed. There was no such thing as systemic racism. Mm. And my question for you is, you know, you, you had shared, um, how, you know, walk through the store, come walk through the store. How, I mean, this, and this is probably not a fair question, but what is that mark? What is that thing that happens in somebody's life who their narrative has been the primary narrative, um, the lens that they see the world through, um, the predominant lens that must be the right lens? How do you, what happens? What is that, that, that light switch moment where they allow that to be suspended long enough to even entertain the idea that I ought to go walk through the Miller market. I had to mm. go, you know, that, I mean, that's probably the closest grocery store, isn't it? Yeah. Miller. Yeah. From here. Yeah. For I sure. mean, so, 100%. so what is it, what does it take for somebody uh, to allow themselves to get to that place where all this, what, what is the, the, other than, I mean, I can throw out the real religious speak, the Holy spirit does it, you know, and, and starts to work in people's hearts and their lives. But to me, I think, and, and I'm kind of answering the question now, but for me, it was relationships. I, I, I intentionally in, and I, I full disclosure, I intentionally in the former community that we lived in, and now I'm doing it again, have sought out personal friendships and relationships with people who do not look like me or sound like me. Hmm. And I've done that because I know, I just know, I know that I know that first of all, the church needs to model what this looks like. But second of all, I do too. And I need my narrative checked. How do you get people to <laughs> to that same place? Maybe even like, what do they have to let go of? Like, how do, right, they, how do right. they come to a place where they can do that? Well, I would say, you know, number one, you know, I want to shift the majority of the responsibility on leadership. Sure. Leadership has to speak out and to speak up. Mm-hmm. Because the majority of our people are are more than likely not to pursue it on their own. And so when leadership begins to use their platform, their power to expose people um, to what is happening in the world, what is happening to their neighbors, that creates a space and opportunity for the Holy Spirit yeah, to, yeah. to prick their hearts. I would say the other thing um, you know, that is happening because of social media, like people are having these conversations, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not, like these conversations are happening. Um, and so I think that unfortunately, sometimes, you know, we've dropped George Floyd quite a bit. Unfortunately, it takes something as tragic as that mm-hmm. for these things to end up at the doorstep of our people. Mm-hmm. It was, a, I was, I was shocked by the amount of my, uh, white friends, white brothers and sisters who were shocked by George Floyd. But if you are a black person, uh, you know, we're like, this happens all this the time. The next, like, 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, this is not the first time that this has happened. Right. right? Um, and so I think, unfortunately, it takes tragedy um, for this to even become a conversation. But I think that in order for you not to allow that tragedy to just be a one-time experience where, where you enter into someone else's space. Right. 
um, if you're a leader, if you're saying like, man, how do I get my people to to really champion this and 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 love this? I really do think that you have to lead in such a way, A, that you're putting yourself in those spaces mm -hmm. where you are not center. And the reason why that is so critical is because when you enter into a space where you're not center, you Explain begin- Explain that a little bit. Maybe so, people don't realize what yeah, that yeah, means yeah. to be centered. So for an example, um, if you enter into a space where you're the minority, mm -hmm. let's say you're a white person, and you finally enter into a space where there's predominantly black people, you begin to ask yourself questions that you've never asked yourself before. <laughs> Are they okay that I'm here? Do they like me? Um, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay that I do that? And the reason why those moments are so important, because for the first time in your life, you're getting a window into what minorities are feeling. Mm -hmm. um, the things that they have to, to grapple with. Um, things that you don't necessarily have to think about. Like for an example, I always say that, you know, I mentor a young black man um, and I, and they have to learn two languages. Hmm. Um, not only do they need to know the, the language of their culture, if you want to call it slang or whatever, um, but you now need to know proper English. And I'm putting up quotation marks when I say that, because that's another hot right. horse that I can get on. Um, but you, you don't get the privilege of just understanding your culture. Hmm. You have to understand two cultures if you're going to be able to survive and make a living for yourself. And sometimes so, even change your name. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, yeah. me and Rich have heard stories yeah. of people who don't want to have a Hispanic name or don't want to have a name that's hard to pronounce because that might mean that their job application goes right to the shredder before they even have an hundred percent. You got to change and, your name. And, and the reality is, is that it is so hard to put yourself in someone's shoes without centering yourself. I'll give you an example. When my wife had our, our first child and I was in the labor room um, and, and, you know, I'm up there, I'm, you know, trying to help her out, like just breathe, you know, whatever. And then she turns around, she tells me to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> and my feelings, you know, my feelings are hurt. Like I'm like I'm gonna have a conversation with her after this, right? I, I, I'm censuring my pain. Now we want to talk about pain in that room, like that. What I was feeling versus what she was feeling, like I, I, I sound I sound like an idiot, right? Um, and it wasn't, you know, and I did, I you know, I was very foolish. I you know, I was like, I can't believe that you, you know, blah blah blah. And and over time. I've learned she was just like, this is what I need you to do mm -hmm. when you're in the room with me. Mm -hmm. I need you to be quiet and I need you to hold my hand. And for me to say, forget about how I feel. This is about her. She's the one in real pain. Mm -hmm. She's the one really experiencing uh, um, her body changing and going through all these things. And so my mindset should be is to go in and be the servant. And Jesus, you know, to anyone who wants to be great needs to be a servant. And who um, modeled it more than anybody yeah. was Christ. That's I mean, a, he suspended all. I mean, he yeah. suspended everything to be able to enter into what other people were experiencing and uh, and be able to bring life yep. in those situations as well. That's like a perfect example, too, because when you think about how we navigate life, our pain is always the worst pain. Sure. But somebody else's pain is always not that bad. So yeah, like, yeah. that's a perfect example of like, like you're you're mad at her reaction to her pain. And that's hurting your feelings, but it's like, why don't you identify the fact that she's experiencing pain? So you can, you can talk about that in a, a broader context of populations where we like to minimize everybody right. else's pain, but then, Oh, if I'm hurt, yeah, oh, yeah, wow, yeah. everybody or how, stop or and look at me. how dare you be sick? Do you not understand how that's cramping my style? Exactly. We, I mean, exactly. We got we, things I got to do. Could you get better? 
the church and the, especially the white church, sometimes we like to be the person that's like the second person that gets hurt in like a football play where, you know, you're not the first person swings. But then when they get swung at, their arms go up and, oh, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. ref? That's kind of us sometimes. We're like, oh, did you see me Flopping. get hurt? Yeah. Yeah. We're, did you I, see what happened to me? So talk about that. I, th- I think, too, like I, you know, been in, you know, this diverse space for a while. And oftentimes for my white brothers and sisters, like, well, we don't matter. Like, what about our hurts? You know, what are our pain? You know, um, or we talk about, you know, one time, you know, we talked about, hey, we want to have some more, you know, gospel music or whatever. And it's, well, what about our music? You don't want any of our music? And I always have to slow down and say, okay, first of all, that's not what I'm saying. And uh, and this could be offensive, but I'm like, you're acting like my 13-year-old daughter. Yeah. When I tell her, Kyla, stop laying on the couch so that your brother can sit down. What, dad? You don't want me to lay on the couch? That's not what I said. I told you to sit up so that your brother can have space on the couch oh, as well. Man. And this is about sharing. This is not about pushing you off of the couch. And now you are um, being manipulative or you're gaslighting, whatever word that you want to use, right? No, sure. um, but, but dad did not say that you didn't matter. What I said is that you're being selfish by stretching out on the couch and not allowing any space for your brother. And so oftentimes, like in our conversation, when we talk about centering, what we mean is that you've been taking up all the space. Right. And you haven't allowed no space for the rest of us. And convincing yourself that there's not enough space for everybody. Yeah. There's this idea that like God didn't create things so that we, we all have space. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 then, and, and, and then you get like, well, well, what does it matter if you, um, you know, um, don't share songs or, 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 or don't share styles and things like that? What well, if it doesn't matter? Then let us have all the space then. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're a walking contradiction, right? It's like it does matter because you're not going to put yourself in a place where you're not heard, where you're not seen because that's devaluing, right? And it's unloving. And so if we want to really display the gospel that we say that we hold so dearly. We got to share the couch. We got to share the table. We got to share our resources. We have to share our power. All of these things, if we're going to be able to love each other well and to coexist together, because everybody loves the poster of multicultural, multi-ethnic, all of these things, but it's hard work. Mm-hmm. It is hard work. It is not easy. Go. You know, um, that kind of bridges a little bit into this whole together for the region thing. Yeah. So uh, at real life for years, probably there's been this mantra that we're for the region. And, you know, at some point that's got to be more than just a sticker on your wall. Right. And uh, to be for the region means you're for Griffith or you're for Hammond or you're for Gary or you're for East Chicago and Highland or you're for Crown Point. Or you're for Chesterton right. and Portage. Or, I mean, what, what does it mean to be for the region? Right. And um, you can't be selective in that moment. Right. This, this is definitely a region. Exactly. And uh, when you and I first connected and different things like that, you know, this has just kind of been a, a unique partnership that's emerged. So now it's this idea of being together for the region. It's one thing for one church to say, oh, yeah, well, it's kind of a little presumptuous. But um, 
it just, it, well, it it's not kind of, it is presumptuous. <laughs> so it's, we're the center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, instead, what does it look like to share that? What does it look like for us, for we to come together and say, we are together for the region? And um, this is kind of in its genesis phase, I think, just kind of trying to flesh out what this is going to look like and, and feel like and different things like that. But uh, this kind of goes into this, you know, th- this is a decentering of anybody, really, and allowing all of us uh, as leaders and churches to work together to deal with some of these inequities, to deal with some of the systemic issues sure. that keep some of our brothers and sisters down, while at the same time those systems benefit our other brothers and sisters. And so what does it look like for the church to step into those spaces and those gaps? And, and again, I'm, I'm new on the scene, so I have my ideas and my thoughts in my head, but you've been here, you've been on the ground, your boots on the ground, man. And so what, what is some of dealing with some of those systemic things, even in partnership with other churches look like in your eyes? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, um, it is a call to die to ourselves. Like mm. we have to grab a hold of what Jesus really meant when he says to to die for ourselves in pursuit of the kingdom of God. And so some of the you know practical ways um, when you talk about you know being being together is a we we have to be willing to share power. And so when we look at even mm-hmm. something for like together for the region. Um, from an organizational standpoint, uh, who's a top tier leadership? Do we have mm-hmm. people in Gary in real power? Um, you know, uh, pastors who are who are who are truly speaking into what we're doing, the vision, and where we're going, um, and doing that collectively, um, not where uh, you know white people are at the top, black people are at the bottom, but truly, you know, uh, sitting at the table. And then I think going back to what we were talking about in the beginning about the dividing walls of hostility. That being said, that as humans we do prompt up, and to say, okay, what are those walls, and how are we going to collectively uh, tear those walls down mm-hmm. um, and not act like they don't exist or put it on people in Gary to but the walls to, exist to deal with for. That. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, we don't, you know, hey, victim, exactly. fix your problem. So, so what does it look like, though? Because I, I immediately think of there are some things that maybe people do that are helpful, but I think it's more of them helping individuals over the wall instead of tearing the wall down. Mm. So like how the church, if all the churches come together collectively, we don't need to just pull one individual over the wall and then prop them up. But what does it look like for us to tangibly tear those walls down? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and to be honest, like, I mean, there's, you know, uh, a million ways that you can go about it. But I, I think number one is that we got to speak up and we got to speak out. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to have some skin in the game. We have to be willing to say the hard things. Um, and those things, you know, obviously cost us. Uh, we have to be willing to put our resources behind the various things that are, you know, propping up those walls and things like that. You know, we talked about, you know, grocery stores and uh, yeah. transportation and all these things like 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 we got to dig into that and say strategically, how do we aid and how do we uh, begin to 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 transform that in a way that there those are that that's no longer a problem right. for people of color, right? right? Um, and so and so and so there's just a few ways in which we can do it. You, using our our podiums um, yeah. to speak up and speak out. One of the things you notice about uh, the black church 
particularly if you go and research the Great Migration, um, is when you had a you know a, a millions of blacks moving up to the north looking for jobs and things like that. One of the things that the black church had to do, and when I say black church, I'm talking about um, in particular when the black when black people were not allowed to be a part of white churches. Right, out right. came the black church, um, and so that's what I mean by that. Um, but they immediately began to hire social workers and things like that to figure out where people were going to live. Mm-hmm. They seen a, a systemic issue and they said, okay, we need to hire such and such, right? So so, the, so once we realize the systemic issues, then that begins to dictate our budgets, where our money is going and things like that. Because now we're getting strategic and saying, okay, we're going to start eliminating these things and really start to love our neighbor. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. <laughs> So don't take these words personally, because <laughs> I know that this might be a question because I've heard it said before when you're talking about all of this, what do you say to the question of, yeah, but what about the people that are in my neighborhood? So like, for example, like, OK, so we're trying to do all this for Gary. What about us in fill in the blank? Like there's there's always that reflex of there are people with need right around me. Right. It's 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 that reflex of like, why are we helping this group of people? But we're not helping this group of people. So when you when if you're going to hear that question, what is your response to that? Yeah. So one of the things that um you know, and this goes back to the 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 uh, learning part is as we consider, you know, particular cities and communities, some cities are more resource than other than 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 other communities. So going back to the language I was using about the black church, uh, one reason why the black church was so prominent and so important in the black community is because of the lack of resources, the church became almost the center of everything. Mm-hmm that the black church needed mm-hmm. from protection to schooling to, you know, this, this and that community. Whereas um, in particular white churches and white spaces, um, because the community is healthier because they're not fighting against particular systems and things like that. Um, um, there were certain things that, that people had access to that they were able to get and things like that. And so I think as we, um, you know, Think about like Gary, Indiana. We say, well, well, you know, my community is this, this, and that. Let's continue, and and that's a fair question, right? Right. We don't just want to blow that off, but then we want to say, well, does my community host these resources? Does my community have these systems in place that 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 stop people from accessing these things, right? Um, and so when we begin to dig into those things, then we begin to see why we're saying, oh, we need to put a little extra into places like Gary, Indiana, because of a lack of resources, because of the systems and things like that, that, that are in place that are de, uh, that, 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 that are not allowing people to prosper the way that God would allow them to. So that's one of the quick ways that I would. Yeah. I, would, I, would. I think one of the challenges too, we, we talked about individualism last week and um, how that's a challenge to the church. You know, that I'm no, I'm not my brother's keeper. I, you know, I mean, we, we have this individualized gospel, I think one of the challenges too is is helping people to understand everything that we've just discussed. You know, uh, churches coming together, living out. You know, what it look what does it look like to care of your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? All those all those issues. That's the gospel too, right? And so we we've kind of individualized the gospel as something you accept, which it is, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, we all yeah. need that personal salvation. You know, we I get that, but the gospel is also something we live. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so it's so much bigger than the like nice little box. You know, check the box off. Did you get saved? You yeah, know, yeah, make yeah. sure you get baptized so you can show everybody you did. Mm. And then you've accepted the gospel. Well, what is the rest of your life for then? Hmm. To make you feel good about accepting the gospel? Actually, the rest of your life is living out the reality of the transform transformative power of the gospel. And that's going to come out in, and I know social justice is everybody's boogeyman word, Absolutely. but the bottom line is if we're not engaged in loving our neighbor as ourselves, and then also if we're allowing ourselves to let God tell us who our neighbor is <laughs> instead of a politician or a news station or, or whatever to tell us, or the rhetoric of the day, listen, anybody is my neighbor. The, mm. the, the walls are down, the boundaries are off. So everybody is my neighbor and we need to kind of, here I am, I'm kind of preaching a little bit, but we need to get to a point where we understand the gospel isn't just something we accept. It's something we live and, and it plays out in some of the things that you've just talked about. This is gospel that we're talking about. We're we're talking about, we're not just saved from our sins and cleansed from our sins. There also has to be a heart change for us to actually experience salvation and for us to experience the kingdom of God. Otherwise it's just get out of jail free cards and we're just handing them out, but we're not experiencing joy. We're not experiencing Shalom, like how things are supposed 100%. to be. If all we're just looking for is like, Hey, I don't want to get punished at the end of my right. life. I don't want to get punished. It's not about that alone that. is selfish, right? <laughs> having, right? Having, right. Having, having some of the most amazing experiences though, Ben, when you've been in a context that, from the outside looking in, this shouldn't make sense. But yet you're you're there fellowshipping with people. You're there breaking bread with people. You're there communing with mm. people. And you're united by Christ. And you realize that you're participating in something that this is not normal, right? The, the, the dividing walls appear to still be up. But yet you're in a situation in a setting where you have this kind of, I don't know, I don't know flutter maybe Mm -hmm. because Mm. you realize, holy cow, I'm in, I'm in the middle of something that, that is not normal, that, that is possible when people allow themselves to let their guard down and enter into spaces and places that they've never been and be with people they've never been with. Um, those are, those are beautiful moments to me. What I really love about the together for the region and, and the mission and the vision of that is that it is proactive. And one thing that I will full willingly confess that a lot of times I have been, and a lot of times the church has been reactive instead of proactive. Mm -hmm. When we talk about discipleship, the reason why we need to be proactive in our discipleship is that then from a platform, if me or a rich or anybody, any pastor, when we're reacting to something like a George Floyd thing, or if we're reacting to something like a desperate need in Gary or fill in the blank, if we're not being proactive in building relationships and proactive in serving our community, then, well, one, people can just poke holes at what we say and say, oh, you're just being reactionary or, oh, it's just because this is in the news or, oh, this is just because this is the hot political topic. If you're being proactive in discipleship and if we're actually continuing to be in community with other churches making a difference, then you don't feel like the whole weight of this situation is on whether I say things the right way on Sunday mornings Yeah. when I'm reacting to what happens in the news. Cause there's going to be another story. Sure. There, there's always another story, sure. but the cop out is, is well, you're reacting just because you're trying to build up your pr- platform or whatever. But if we're proactive and it's just who we are as Christ followers, then you don't have that risk or that, 100%. that tendency to be like, Oh, you're just reacting. Yeah. You're being reactionary. And I think that 
you know, as you said, like we want to get ahead of the kingdom of darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, this is not something that we're doing because uh, a social media pres- pressure or um, whatever platform that you like to listen to, right? Like this is who we are. Like, and, and, and I think it's having a robust understanding of what the gospel has done to us. It's not just washed us of our sins. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're grateful for that. But it has literally transformed who we are. Um, God has given us a new identity, people who love righteousness, who who, who love our neighbors and all of this. And, and um, I want to read something from, from Titus really fast where he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, or to or or uh, uh, avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, and hated by others in hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renew of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal eternal life. And so, I mean, Titus there, man, just spells out like who we once were. Mm-hmm. And, and now that we've been regenerated, now that we've been renewed, uh, we, the church, the citizens of God's kingdom, the, 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 the children of his family, we're called to bring shalom. We're called to bring flourishing because who else is going to do it? Who else has experienced such uh, a miraculous miracle, um, in their souls and in their lives than the church of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think back, um, there's a book called the patient ferment of the early church. And there's no logical reason for the church to have flourished the way that it did in those early centuries, but yet it did so mostly because of the willingness of the people to die to themselves. Yeah. They gave themselves up for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of the feet on the gospel yep. moving forward. And uh, it's just a good reminder that, you know, we do nothing out of selfish ambition. You know, we, we truly do love the Lord, our God with everything and love our neighbor as ourself. So it's good. Yeah. Believe it or not, we've been talking for about an hour now. So this is already our, our longest episode, but I think it was good. I think it was very helpful to get your perspective. Um, anybody got any closing thoughts? I just want to say thanks, man. Uh, thanks for yeah. <laughs> limping along with a guy like me every once in a while. But uh you know, uh, thanks for giving me space to learn and grow and say cringy things every once in a while or, or whatever the case is. I, you know, my, my encouragement, you know, and this is what makes me a little proud to be a part of the church that I'm part of is I think we all just acknowledge we've got a lot to learn and that, um, we need to put ourselves in places to do that. And so, yeah. uh, no, I appreciate your friendship, man. I'm proud of you. I'm excited for, where the next chapter leads you as things begin to unfold for you and, and what it looks like to be together for the region. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that. How can we be praying for you, Dexter? How can anybody listening to this be praying for you? Yeah. Continue to uh, pray for, pray for wisdom for, for me and clarity as our church is in a new season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'll 
be independent, um, probably here soon in the next, you know, few months. Um, and so we're seeking, uh, what is the Lord calling us to do? Uh, we believe that God is not, uh, by chance planted this multi-ethnic church mm-hmm. in the heart in the heart of downtown Gary. Um, and so we want to, uh, showcase as best we can, um, the, the, the kingdom of God. Um, but also, um, continue to pray as we, uh, continue to unfold and discover and explore what together for the region will look like. We as a church personally, we, we are excited to partner with other churches that really want to be about God's kingdom and to see Shalom here in, in Northwest Indiana. Cool. So. Yeah. I mean, to summarize, I just think if you want to find out what it looks like to, to love your neighbor and be in proximity with your neighbor, just just look to Jesus. Like you can make it real complicated. You can have all these different theories and prescriptions and ideas and it gets real messy real quick, but like, let's just look at what Jesus did, what he commanded his disciples to do and what the early church did and and go from there. So uh, thanks everyone for listening to this one. No, it was a couple minutes longer, but uh, next week we're going to interview somebody else and we're just going to continue to have these interviews, have these conversations about what it looks like to to really love God by loving our neighbor and, and how that changes when we actually learn from people that maybe are coming from a different perspective than us. So we will talk to you next week. The Real Life Roundtable is a production of Real Life Community Church in Portage, Indiana. For more information, follow us at RLCC Life on Facebook or visit reallifecc.org.